Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Creative Punjabis with Jasmeet Naran. My guest for today's episode is probably the youngest guest I've had so far. Girls That Invest was started by two millennials in 2020 to share their knowledge around personal finance. From an Instagram page to launching their own podcast which has a million plus downloads and now launching their own book, they have come a long way. Please welcome Simran Kaur from Girls That Invest. Hi Simran, welcome to the Creative Punjabis show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I was researching about you, so like I'm completely blown. You got featured in Canstar recently, Business Insider. Then you have Vogue magazine, Glamour magazine and popular TV channels and whatnot. And you last went, uh, you went to US for delivering a TED talk. This month you're going to London, which I got <laughs> to know from your story. So, I mean, and obviously you uh, have signed a deal for book also. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, uh, so, so great work that you're doing. Uh, do you pinch yourself some days? Like, okay, is it happening for real? Or? <laughs> That's very kind of you. I would say I do pinch myself almost daily um, okay. because a lot of this kind of these features and stuff, they didn't happen when I started this, you know, for a good year or so. I was almost speaking into the open silence, you know, no one was listening um, to our work. And I think just slowly over time, it just all took off at once. But for a very long time, there was no deals, there was no shows. I was doing everything for free. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just nice to see how, how things can add up over time. And for the audience, they I think they have already crossed 1 million plus so downloads, right? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Okay. A million downloads. <laughs> wow. So good to hear that. Like personal finance is a category, right? If we talk about two and a half years back, uh, how could I have imagined like this category and that to a podcast will like get so much attraction from audience across the world, right? Yeah, I had I had no idea. I never expected something like this to happen. So let's let's start with your journey, like how an optometrist uh, turned into the personal finance uh, domain, and why this attracted you. Uh, as it was it a curiosity, or uh, how did that happen? Like introduction to the world of personal finance and quitting your day job, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So when I was younger, I was always interested in money and my parents were quite um, helpful because they were quite open with me. So if I asked, you know, like, how much do you make, um, mom or dad? How much is the house? How much is this car? Did you, you know, buy it in cash? Did you get a loan? Why, you know? I, and so I was very like a nosy child. Um, And my parents were very good. They didn't, you know, tell me to be quiet. They told me not to ask other people those questions. You can't ask, you know, your friend's parents why they have a nice house. But, um, yeah, I think I've just always been curious. But, of course, I went down the traditional route to begin with, which is, you know, getting a degree. Um, I studied five years um, to study optometry, which is a, a healthcare job. You know, you're working with people, you're dealing with eye health nothing to do with finance. Um, And when I was studying um, at university, I think I just started to develop an interest in personal finance. The first reason being that um, optometry is a decently 
good paying job. So I knew that when I was going to graduate, I was going to have a lot more money than I've ever had as a student. Um, you know, going from sort of living a student lifestyle to living a salaried lifestyle. So I thought I want to make sure I understand what to do with this money. How do I save it? How do I invest it? Because no one really teaches you that. Yeah. You know, you kind of get taught, get a good job, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and then that will make you stable and you just save money in the bank account. You buy a house and a nice car and that is it. Um. And so I, as I was starting to learn more and more about personal finance, I started to realize how much it interests me. And I would say more than anything, I learned how simple it was and how overcomplicated it had become. Mm. Um, and so I kind of thought, well, you know, let me study a, a certificate in financial markets. So I did that online certificate, you know, it wasn't too hard and then again, same realization that, hey, the stock market is not too confusing. I have definitely been scared of it for no reason, you know, mm -hmm. being um, a younger person at the time. Um, so let me sort of share these basic terms, basic knowledge for other people, you know, so that they at least know what it is. I, and so it wasn't an idea of, let's teach people what the next hot stock is, or you should go buy this or buy that, but more, you know, what is a stock? What is a fund? What's an index fund? What's the difference? Um, and I just never thought it would do so well, but I guess the main idea was I just wanted to help empower people and help them realize that just because you haven't been taught something yet doesn't mean it's not something you can learn down the track. Right, right. Yeah, and then probably you started this from as a podcast or was it like started other content as well or as a, or as a blog yeah so it started as an instagram account with okay. an instagram account i first made that and i made a facebook group and i would just post like information you know in an infographic style so that it was okay. bite-sized pieces you know just little you know jargon term here what's a bull market what's a bear market um, because I feel like people learn best if you just give them little bite sizes of information if they've never come across a topic before. Um, and then eventually I wanted to do something that was more long form content and I weighed up YouTube and I weighed up podcasts and I thought, well, with a podcast, I don't have to get up and get ready. I can just record yeah. from anywhere. Um, yeah. And I got my best friend, uh, Sonia, who... Um, is Maliali. I met her when I was five years old and mm. we just have been best friends for so long and we thought you know what let's share our journeys and our experiences because if we can share that and people can look at us and go okay here's some young girls investing you know they're millennials they're not necessarily experts in investing but they do invest um, we kind of hoped that would encourage other people to look into it, to talk to their friends and family and not have it be so taboo. Okay. And uh, if I may ask, uh, who, who came up with the name that Girls That Invest? Like it's very simple, right? Girls That Invest, Imran and Sonia. So who yeah. came with this <laughs> idea or were there any other uh, names that you like five, ten names and then drilled down and agreed on this but. Yeah, so I actually was reading through some old messages yesterday 
um, with Sonia because it was over text where we talked about this and I saw the message I asked her you know I'm trying to think of a name I'm so confused what do I call it this was back in 2020 and we I, I thought about girls that invest and I thought about women that invest and mm-hmm. it was interesting we had a conversation and Sonia said you know women that invest sounds more formal it sounds maybe a bit intimidating and it's it's sad that the term woman would make other, you know, women feel intimidated as opposed to invited. Um, so I decided to use the term girls specifically so that people, one, didn't feel like there was an age limit to learning, um, but two, it does just sound more friendly. It sounds like a bit more inviting. Um, and me and Sonia, you know, we don't always consider ourselves adults. So, um, yeah, it was just a... A name that I thought if someone saw this, they would instantly understand the vibe of the brand, that it's not going to be very serious. It's not going to be, you know, two women in a suit talking about investing. Yeah, I can give you 100 marks for the creativity here. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, if I may ask, uh, do you remember what was your initial uh, first investment and where did you like make at that point in time? Yes, absolutely. So I invested about 500 New Zealand dollars, which is about 300 USD. And I Mm -hmm. put that into the S&P 500. So I put it into VOO, which is the Vanguard version of it. And that came from an understanding that it is easier for me uh, to invest in a fund that then goes on and invests in a lot of companies as opposed to me trying to individually pick and find the best fund. And when I used to be an optometrist in healthcare, you you operate in a way that is research-based. So if, if research studies show that this drug is the best drug, then that's what you prescribe. It's not your personal feelings. It's not what the patient is asking. It's Everything is research-backed. And so I took the same approach with investing if there was research to show that one way of investing may be better than the other then that is how I would do it and so from my understanding you know the research showed funds were better as beginners so I went down that route. Fair enough yeah you started quite early right uh you and Sonia so I out of curiosity I want to understand because the age group that you were like uh, and uh, your peer groups right and at that point in time when one is in college right uh, you got Sonia to talk about this but your other peer groups right they might uh, be thinking like okay what they are talking about they may, they may not be enjoying or they are why they are having so mature conversation this is not the time right because as a as a as a college uh, kid, right, you have a tendency, okay, I'll get a job, then maybe I'll try to spend and get that things from these salaries. Yes. And then there is Simran who is uh, investing in S&P 500 index <laughs> and doing certain uh, trade-offs, I believe. So how do you think like they, at times it was tough? Because again, I mean, it's honestly, it's very easy to say uh, like, okay, go mm-hmm. start investing and all. But you have a lot of uh, influence of your peer groups, right? What they are doing, maybe they are traveling, maybe they vacation mm-hmm. or posting on Instagram. So you kind of develop that tendency, okay, why well, I'm not doing this? Uh, I can invest late, at a later stage. So what's your take on that? That's a really good um, point. I think, you know, w- when I was younger, I was just the same, you know, at the start of university, for example, 
I didn't understand the importance of long-term thinking. And I also used to think, you know, when I graduate, I'm going to get a nice car. I'm going to do this and that. Um, and then I read a lecturer once said to, um, he didn't say it to us. He said it to dentistry students um, saying that when you graduate, don't go out and buy a nice car. That's the first thing you want to do with your salary, but keep living like you're still a student. So keep spending, you know, as if you don't have that money. Um, and I remember thinking, that's a terrible idea. Like I want to, you know, I worked so hard. I've studied. I want to enjoy. Um, but that was the first train of thought where I wondered, like, why would they say that? What's the benefit of this long-term mindset? And then the second thing that really helped is um, my, my best friend, Sonia, she has um, a brother who is about nine years older than us. So he was already in the workforce when we were in high school. And he had said to her, you know, read these books. And he gave her a list of like 10 books to read. And he said to her, when you start working, she started working a bit earlier than me. Um, when you start working, automatically put your money into a savings account, high yield savings account that is separate from your bank account and you don't touch it. Um, and he gave her a number of books, but one of them being Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so when I saw when I saw Sonia, um, you know, reading these and doing this, I thought, when I graduate or when I get closer to graduating, I'll ask her for that list of books. Um, and that was the first one I read, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I think the idea of the book, if if you know someone's listening and hasn't heard of it, a very simple concept of if you want to grow wealth, you buy assets, so things that increase in value, like a house, um, or or share market investments. And you lessen the amount of debt you buy. So things like depreciating car or, you know, fancy clothes, um, holidays. And so that was such a simple idea that when you see it like that, then you can justify maybe not spending very, you know, hugely. And you can justify being, you know, as like my parents would say, a bit conduce at the start. Yeah. Yeah. How was your buying psychology now? because now you are making decent so is it the same uh, psychology or do you still think like okay now i have reached a certain stage now uh, maybe i can i should get this or maybe i should uh, get this luxury item because i have worked hard for it and i've earned it so mm. is that still the same old or i would say i'm i'm trying to find a balance because i'm still like deep down I want to still just save I still want to live as if I don't have you know the the extra income that I have um but you also have to enjoy your life a little bit and there's no point yeah. working so hard that you can't even you know go on a holiday with your friends and family or take a day off so for me I value experiences more than physical things so I haven't you know increased my buying of nice items I, I bought one nice bracelet um which was you know a, a sort of a gift or a milestone after the, the TED talk but like for example I'm going on holiday in a few weeks time that I really hesitated to agree to um because not because of the time but because of the money and I thought you know it's going to be another holiday you know it might be five thousand dollars that's a lot of money to spend so I still think that way but at the same time, it's just about finding balance. You don't want to, you know, end up in a space where when you 
leave this earth, you know, nothing's coming with you. It's all going to yeah. be left behind. But if you spend it all now, then that's not good either. So I'm still working out that balance. Okay. So when obviously I think that's, that's an experience also you will get. So it's not a vacation per se mm-hmm. in your case. It's also more of an experience, right? And you'll get to know more people. People will get to know more about you, right? In a different geography altogether. So that is, I think, a valid trade-off. You should <laughs> go ahead. Very interesting thing I would want to share. Well, I was researching about uh, you. Uh, so I was reading your Vogue article and ironically, they were displaying me Rolex ads. They wanted <laughs> the viewers to buy a Rolex. So I was wondering, like, I'm reading something on personal finance. If you could have given me some ETFs or some index funds, I might have clicked on that ad and bought. But where is that Rolex coming in? So it's very contradicting to what they are, what the content is and what the ads that they are showcasing. <laughs> Maybe it's a um, it's a compliment that Rolex thinks that you know you're the target demographic. But maybe they think the readers of girls that invest are ultra rich category maybe. people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, going to my uh, next question, uh, are there any uh, favorite uh, investing instruments that you personally like or maybe anyone who is new or very simple to understand in, in, in equity or maybe funds or anything that you want to share? What are your favorite instruments which are jargon free, I would say, mm-hmm. and people might not have to scratch their heads before investing and have sleepless nights? I would say a good resource that I really use and love and still use to this day is investopedia.com. It's like Wikipedia, but for investing. And it is just filled with lots of articles about anything to do with investing. If you type in, you know, what is an index fund or how do I start or what's the top, you know, funds, it will have an article for each thing. And they do have a little bit of jargon in them, but if you see a jargon word, they've also got a glossary. And so, you know, it's one way of learning. If someone wanted to learn with audio, you know, of course, our podcast is a good place to start. But if you want to read, we have a book coming out. There's also um, a number of really great books that have been around for a long time. The Intelligent Investor is a good example, but that's a very, um, again, jargon-filled book, and I did not enjoy that book the first time I read it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and I would say if you were interested in looking at how shares move, um, Yahoo Finance is actually a very good, and, and these are all free resources, very good yeah. resource where you can type in, you know, Apple into Yahoo Finance and it will tell you how the share price has moved. It will tell you who owns it. It will tell you, you know, is it sustainable or as a sustainable company? Do you want to invest in ethically? So a lot of um, good things to take away. All of them do take a bit of time to wrap your head around, but we live in a world where all this information is free and it's available. And, you know, if you're not a podcast person, you can read the book. If you're not a book person, you can find a YouTube video. It's um, it's awesome how much is out there. Yeah, I, I think there's too many information uh, right <laughs> yeah. now. At least uh, in last two and a half years, I think the category has uh, exploded in terms of the content that is out. So uh, why do you think like, I mean, that 
growth as a sector now has happened like we see so many creators and people are also aware right thankfully because of creators even me also like i entered into this space because i watched some video right but i have seen like in last two and a half years uh, space has exploded a lot the creators so many creators out there and and also i i was just wondering why now why why is it now our our parents were not doing that or like i mean markets are old right pretty old uh, but why now so do you think like uh, there is some reason why people are now more interested than like the previous generations so so i would say there's two reasons first being covid of course has had such an impact on how we view the world and view money and stability i think a lot of people you know of course some people lost their jobs but a lot of people were worried that maybe i might lose my job maybe it might be me that gets asked to leave um you know do i have enough saved up what will i do and i think it made them look at their finances and personal finance in general in a different light i think um e- even for myself when i um I started my first job, so I just graduated. COVID hit three weeks into my job, and so everyone was rem- uh, made temporarily redundant because um, it wasn't at the time an essential work. You know, eyesight at the time was not life-threatening t- to most people. So it was, for me and for people around me at least, a moment where we all kind of went, okay, what does my money look like and do I need to do something so that I feel more stable and safe okay. if anything like this was to ever happen again? So I think this is also a very good time to be a creator, right? Uh, and many people have become creators and they have quit their day uh, normal jobs and entered into space. And also brands are also like uh, crazy, like they are spending huge on this uh, influencer marketing. But do you think uh as 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 an uh, influencer if i would say uh there are a lot of people who just have a good follower but because the brand comes they don't have the right research they'll just promote anything like whatever instrument comes and the bad part is uh, as uh, there are a lot of uh, people who or i would say uh, adults who follow in the age of 18 to 23 maybe who are not that well versed so they might invest in that particular instrument for example i was just reading uh, about one influencer yesterday and he clearly mentioned like when uh, a brand came for uh, for there was some new token that they had launched in the crypto space he had no clue but because they were paying handsome amount so he went away straight away promoted so even if he could have got the knowledge at a later stage but it's a very uh, like, like you are putting your followers in a very dangerous situation so what's your take on this uh, do you think this space also needs to be regulated and people should feel a sense of responsibility yeah i absolutely think it should be regulated um for example in new zealand where i'm from there are laws and regulations around investing um advice and knowledge and so while you can speak about facts that are unbiased like this is what a fund does this is what the stock market does you can't say you know i recommend that you 
go and purchase this share or this cryptocurrency. Um, uh, and even if you say or recommend to use a certain brokerage, so a website to buy shares and funds, um, you know, you can't do it on a commission basis. Uh, you can't do it on a basis that if more people sign up, you get more money. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, they've actually completely banned people talking about personal finance um, unless you have a license to do so, which is about $5,000 a year to to obtain. And so I think it is important because we're going to have people in the population that might just have come into the space and that's the first thing they see and who can blame them for, you know, yeah. trusting an influencer. So I think there absolutely should be regulation. And if anyone's listening and they're wondering, how do I protect myself? You know, if anything, one sounds too good to be true, if they're promising returns or telling you it's a, you know, best new thing, that's a red flag. And, you know, nothing is is promised in the stock market. And number two, if there is, you know, a, a sign-up code that makes it seem like they will also get some money, ask yep. them, you know, ask them, hey, are you going to get an affiliate from me clicking on this link? Because if they are, then they're going to be more enticed to sell you that product versus if they had a flat fee where the brand said, we will just pay you this flat fee. But if no one signs up, you know, it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, it's really a space that's, I think because it's so new, there hasn't been a lot of, lot of regulation, but I think it's coming. Yeah. Well, I hope that comes to India because <laughs> in India, the market is very cluttered on YouTube, Instagram, wheels, and everything like, they're openly saying what to buy what not to buy i wonder like why nobody has done it so so far so hopefully that comes to india as well uh also i want to understand like uh no this is not a side hustle now right it's kind of a full time for you and uh what i noticed is uh when it's not an instagram page or a podcast uh, anymore it's more of a community right which you have mm-hmm. built of like-minded people which i which i see as an audience i'm giving you an honest feedback so and then people are like very openly sharing a lot of other things also right it's not about only finance because they kind of develop that trust within you so how do you think like that has evolved or as a creator how do you feel about that because if i see your stories they're not only asking you about personal finance they are more uh, they can ask you about your uh, very famous Zara jacket, which was uh, <laughs> when you were in the US. So, I mean, they are very freely and you also like very kindly reply to all of these DMs. So I see a very kind of a positive bond. Even if there is a very huge fan following, I wonder how you find out time. Uh, but you reply, but you you might have seen that, right? It's not only about finance. They might ask you certain other things also. Uh, and I think you also started something new like Sticky Money Mondays for a candid conversation. So how do you feel as a creator when people come to you and ask basic questions about their outfits or maybe skincare or anything in general? It is, it's very funny uh, to me, but I, I embrace it. I think it's such an honor that people want to learn more about, you know, the creators behind Girls That Invest. And I think it just helps them realize, you know, we're just like everyone else. We really aren't and we never position ourselves to be experts because we're not. But 
I think if people can, you know, look at us and go, they shop at Zara, they have drugstore skincare, you know, they're not very, um, you know, they're just, you know, like normal people because we are. Um, I hope it just encourages that same idea. Well, you know, if these girls can be good with their money, then I can be good with my money. And it's very sweet that there is an online community where people can ask questions and get to know us, you know, behind the scenes. I think it just strengthens that, like you mentioned, community aspect to it. And yes, we've just launched a new podcast episode. So we have our usual ones on Tuesdays. And then Sticky Money Mondays are when people submit, you know, sticky money situations they're in. So it's not, you know, what uh, what should I invest in or what retirement fund should I get? It's, you know, my friend won't pay me back. How do I approach her? Questions like that. Okay. That's that's going to be very tricky one, I, I believe. <laughs> tricky and funny also, yeah. Tricky I'm looking and funny. Forward, yeah. I'm looking forward to the upcoming episodes. Thank you. What's your creative process? So I believe whatever you content you post like for an audience to understand uh, and your tweets are very engaging, like the information that you cover. So while it might sound just a post to me uh, or an audience, but what goes behind, like what kind of a research goes behind? Because again, it's a financial thing, right? When you're posting, you have to be a little cautious about the information. Because for, for many, it's a source of information basis. They might make some decision, right? So mm-hmm. how do you make sure the right research is there? And is there any process that you follow before posting anything? Yeah, I would I would say there's no real process. I just enjoy making content. And I've done it for a, a long time before Girls That Invest. You know, I've had other Instagram accounts that I've run and I run ran accounts for other people and and so for me the creative process is just taking inspiration from what's happening around me you know if I see someone mention something or if I'm talking to a friend you know the, the other day for example I went to the grocery store just to pick up a few things not my a full week's shop and I bought you know six things and it ended up being it ended up being 15 New Zealand dollars and the issue with that is that I remembered two years ago, I used yeah. to only spend $70 a week on groceries. So I made yeah. that a piece of content, you know, side-by-side yeah. side photo. And so it's just an inspiration from what's happening. And in that way, there's always content because life is always happening. Yeah. Very, very nice approach and good observation because I also went into thinking like, what can I buy in that budget right now? So yeah, very good catch. Uh, so, uh, also, you have, uh, and many people know you because of your master class, which you teach around personal finance. So, uh, how have you designed that particular program? Uh, and is it like time specific or the modules that have that will stay uh, true for like upcoming one or two years? So, how is that particular content designed? Yeah, it's um, something that I will do regularly. So, a couple of times a year. And they are live, um, so each time it's done, it is re-recorded to be updated with the market currently. Because I think students learn best when they can see, you know, Twitter just got bought out by Elon Musk. What does that mean in the stock market? And you're going to be more engaged to learn about that as it's happening, as opposed to, you know, some example that happened a few years ago. And it's 
been really great. The first time I launched it, I thought, you know, maybe 10 people would take it, maybe 50 people would take it. Uh, And the first time we launched it, it was a pre-sale. We had 500 people take it. So it's just been so mind-blowing how many people are interested in this kind of stuff. Got it. And uh, you also mentioned about the, like, adding information around the current market scenarios. So uh, that brings me to ask, like, how do you feel about the current market scenario? So for a a retail investor, uh, is the red sign of an opportunity or is it a sign of a caution? Uh, How should one react, especially one who is a long-term investor? I would say that if you are new to investing, you might be, it might seem quite scary and worrying. It might be your first, you know, big correction that you've seen and correction just means that the prices are coming down. Um, But I think in the long term, you know, these things happen. You should expect the market to be moving up and down. That's, you know, how it works. And I like to think of it like the property cycle, you know, when with the property cycle, house prices go up and then they have a cooling off period and then they go up and then they have a cooling off period and shares are the exact same. And if you're investing, you know, for retirement, you're investing for 30, 40 years even, then what happens in a couple of months um, shouldn't be a distractor for you. And so I'm a huge fan of dollar cost averaging. So every, you know, fortnight, every second week, I invest the same amount into the same funds. The prices can be up, the prices can be down. Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. And you have to be consistent and don't worry about the right time to enter into the market. And the overall cost will average out, right, over the period of time. Exactly. Um, okay. Okay. And what about this uh, the external factors? For our retail investors, and obviously media keeps on talking about uh, the markets and many startups, uh, they are pulling up funding or the war or the US uh, dominating the world, the inflation numbers are high. So as an investor, you can't still skip all this information. So, and once who has started just investing, right? And he has a long horizon of uh, say, 10, 15 years or maybe 20 years ahead. And there might be a lot of phases that might come of bumps, right? It's not a smooth ride. So how how should one be patient? Because see, there is so much like you open Instagram, someone might have course, okay, I lost so much money. This Bitcoin is down to 20K now. Will it be zero? Mm. And then you keep on wondering or thinking all day and then you keep on have that tendency. I mean, you can't avoid, right? So how should one go about this handling such scenarios and and have a belief of investing because that's the time when people think okay or maybe i should move to the fixed deposit or other stuff this is not working for me and then at a later stage they realize okay that was a time of an opportunity not a sign of a caution that's a really good question i would i would have to say that it comes down to understanding how the market works and understanding you know how things work in the long term for example if you um listening at home and you search up um S&P 500 returns over 40 years you'll see that it goes up and down and it has done this through like the Gulf War it has done it through 
the uh, attack in 9-11. It has done this through the GFC. That was a huge dip. Um, So there's been major events in the past where the market has reacted very poorly. But the people that lose their money were the people that, despite what their financial advisors were saying, pulled their money out. And they said, I you know, don't like that my funds are down 20%. I just don't want to lose anymore. Let's pull my money out. Because when you pull it out, you are solidifying those losses. But I also want to say that there was some research done to see, you know, what makes someone a good investor, who, what kind of investors do well in the long term. And it was people that one did not change their investments quickly. If you keep logging into your account and moving things around and quickly buying here, selling there in a panic every time there was news. You know, for example, um, Netflix recently dropped quite a bit. If that makes you want to go off and sell your Netflix shares, um, that's a really bad habit to get into because you're not allowing time to do its work. You're having a very reactive response and a very speculative response to the market. And the investors that did well were the ones that actually had a goal had a strategy and then stuck to it and they actually were the ones that would check their portfolio as less often as possible and in fact a fidelity study looked and saw that the best portfolios um, were actually by people that had passed away so this was a US study um, because those people couldn't check their investments they couldn't change you know based on the news the news is there to not to scare you, but to make you worry, to make you click on the article and think what's going on. And it it can sometimes feel like the world is ending, but it's about taking a step back. And if it's getting to the point where it's affecting your health, then maybe it's, you know, time to talk to a financial advisor or a health professional, someone that can, you know, help you and guide you because it shouldn't be causing someone to lose sleep overnight. Got it. Uh, also, I, I'm like curious to know your views because uh, while these companies are still uh, like Netflix, they're still stabilizing or identifying the right business model in the right geographies. Uh, most of the uh, financial advisors that I uh, I listen or I see saying like you don't need 10 multi-baggers if you're investing in 10 stocks, you only need to don't worry if it go. Do you think this is the right approach or one should stick to the fundamentals, right? See what's the what's the exact company that's making money, what's the business they are. Because uh, while this might sound like for a company maybe in a, in a strong sector like uh, tech or uh, FMCG, they might be stable because they are into that business for long. But for any new company that's coming, maybe disrupting the fintech space or maybe the payments, they might be a small uh, word of mouth that people start investing like that's the next uh, big stock. But uh, I think, again, 10 out of 8 scenarios, these companies on a longer term, maybe uh, they don't have a business model and they can they get shut and a lot of pe- people like lose on money. So do you think that's right? thing to say like just you need two multi-baggers out of 10 or like you should stick to the fundamentals and that that should be the framework for a long-term investor i find that very interesting that people would say that i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to you know use that data that you know out of everything that you have it's the 20 percent that make up the 80 percent of your uh, returns but 
I would have to say I disagree. You shouldn't be happy if eight out of 10 of your shares are doing badly. Um, And if you are investing individually in shares, you are taking on more risk um, because individual shares have more high reward possibly, but also higher risk. Whereas if you're putting it into a well-diversified fund, for example, you know, Nifty 50 or FTSE 100 in the UK or you know, S&P 500 in the US, wherever you are in the world, um, these help you diversify. And so sure, some of them might do bad, but you've got 80 other stocks that do well. And that's going to be a lot better than, you know, two that are doing well and eight that are doing bad. I think just using your gut feeling, if that sounds a little bit, you know, uh, unsure, then it maybe is. I mean, they quote the example of maybe Amazon 10 years back or Facebook 10 years back. The people might have missed because it's, uh, they thought like they may not have that kind of a future, which they have right. So that's the methodology where this comes into place. And that's where like most people, I think, on a longer run, uh, get it wrong. For short term, yeah, you might see something is new. It's obviously you'll make returns. But again, I... I totally agree, like, uh, one should be uh, not worried about all these things. Another follow-up that comes to my mind is, uh, what's your take right now on the crypto world? Uh, Do you still think you will be making more positions or you want to stay away? Yeah, I think with cryptocurrency, it is something that I'm still keeping my eye on, but I'm not necessarily investing in um, right now anymore. I still find that for me, investing in the stock market and investing in real estate are my two probably more interesting ways of investing. And I think crypto has a space, um, but I would never have it more than like 5% of my overall portfolio. It's something that I invest in, but, um, you know, it's more speculative. And at the end of the day, with a company's share, if you're looking at the share of you know, let's say Alphabet, Google's shares, you would notice that actually that company has profits, it has people, it has businesses, it has assets, and there are some intrinsic value. With cryptocurrency, Ethereum, Bitcoin, there's actually no intrinsic value. It is a value that we are placing on it. And so I don't like that. I don't like that one day the world might decide it's not as valuable and you could lose it, you know, all. Got it. This is one of the similar lines what Warren Buffett quoted in the last uh, shareholder meeting that they had. So uh, I think I've covered most of the questions that I had. Uh, we have a small segment. We're going to ask you some questions. You have to give answer in one line or maybe one word, whichever you think is uh, appropriate. Okay. So... So are you a conservative investor or an uh, aggressive investor? Aggressive. Okay. Uh, One thing you would want to happen in 2022? More traveling. Okay. Uh, Okay. And then uh, if I give you $2,000, where would you invest in the current market scenario? I am so boring. Um, I would probably just put it in VOO or VTI. Okay. And any favorite uh, sector where you like to invest? I am a huge fan of biotech. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, One word about Elon Musk. Eccentric. Okay. Uh, Favorite brands uh, in clothing? Um, 
I don't have any. Maybe Zara, I think I've just started to like it more. I I could I could have predicted this. <laughs> okay. And uh, uh in tech, in tech Apple. Unfortunately, okay. everything I own is Apple. Okay. So uh, this year you're not going to buy iPhone 14, but you're going to buy more uh, Apple shares. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much I have. Uh, I think it, it was fun understanding many things from you, from your perspective. And thanks for joining. I'm sure our audience will have a better clarity about what's personal finance. And uh, I hope you have a great time in London and you don't forget the hotel check-in card there in London. Okay. <laughs> but we'll we'll wait for the interesting stories, uh, whichever you share on on your Instagram and wishing you all the best for uh, your uh, new Sticky Monday series and uh, looking forward to exciting content and all the very best and in case the listeners you're not following Girls at Invest go check it out amazing content good candid content and uh, you'll feel very connected to whatever they post so that's oh, thank it you. thank you so much very great questions and um I, I love the show so it's awesome what you're doing and you know helping everyone learn about maybe different ways of working and different ways of living because it's not something you know we grew up seeing so amazing that this now exists yeah and before we end this one last piece of advice if you would want to give uh, to all the listeners uh maybe on finance or in, in general or anything that you want to share in general, I would say, you know, if you want to be someone in the creative field, but you're not sure if you should or not, you know, I would say give it a go. I, I would, I, you know, don't consider myself a very creative person. I just think I'm a person that just tries and you just try a hundred times and eventually starts to work out. And um, if I never tried, you know, I had a lot of doubts when I was starting this brand. But if I let my doubts, you know, stop me from even trying, then I'd still be doing, you know, my old job. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to host you on Creative Punjabis and hopefully we'll get you back in our upcoming season also or maybe when you have more stuff to share with us. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for having me. And yeah, definitely we'll be back.